Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform. With an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. All right, we're here. Sam. Nope, that's not Sam. That's nope. Stu. Wow. <laughs> Tell the people, who is Stu? Stu is a friend of the hustle. Uh, I actually met Sam through a mutual mentor, Chris Redlett. Shout out Chris Redlett's Last Mile uh, and Transmedia Capital. And you work uh, out of here. I do work out of here. It's incredible, man. I was working out of home, and so was my partner. And for the people that know me, I'm on the phone about 12 hours a day. Uh, most of my things are just brokering deals. And she kicked me out. Right. <laughs> so here I am. Sam took in one of the refugees like you guys talked about last time. That's me. Yeah. And we, um, after the last episode, you were you were listening in. And uh, normally after every episode, we're like, yo, how was it? To the people that were kind of mm. in the room. And it's usually like, good. Yeah, I liked it. And you were like, it was good. But here's three things I think you guys could do better. And I was like, nice. Who is this guy? No one likes and, a yes man. Yeah, no one likes a yes man. Especially if you're trying to make something great. You always want to. Nobody also likes a hater. So uh -huh. you, you need an honest person, you know? 100%. Um, and so so you were honest. I like that. And then we started talking about, I don't know how, we started talking about ideas. We just bumped into each other, started immediately jamming on some yeah. ideas. And I was like, hold on, this should have been recorded. Come by next week. Let's do this. And also- Here I am with Sam gone. And we got to say, he's with the Gary Vee podcast and you're stuck with me. So I don't know who's winning yeah, on that one. Oh, I'm winning, dude. I, I'm winning. <laughs> I'm not trying to be on one of those Instagram posts where it starts out with his signature on the yeah. screen, oh, his autograph uh -huh. <laughs> at the start. I, I will say this office now compared to last week, we got to say- Henry put in a ton yeah. of work. This office looks a thousand times better than Gary V's podcast. Shout out to office. Henry. What, do you have a Twitter handle? Uh, yeah, Henry Billings Five. Henry Billings Five. Give Henry him a Billings shout five. for turning the studio. This is incredible for everyone that's just listening at home. What the studio used to look like is if close your eyes and imagine. Yeah, two wealthy guys went on Amazon and they searched <laughs> by highest price for comfortable chair and they bought it and they bright, found bright red chair and they found a broom closet and put it in there with some of their books <laughs> and now it legit it looks like a legitimate studio now studio yeah there's like the soundproofing shit on the walls there's posters behind us there's we like a a very like prestigious looking book that just That's says the, Sam behind his us glasses it's like it's like he died and it's we have memorial. a tribute here shouts out to Sam come back safe so sam did the gary v podcast and he did uh pomps podcast if you don't know pomp you're you're not in the crypto world this guy who's always talking about bitcoin uh so sam's on tour right now doing a couple other things they did a meetup of uh listeners and trend subscribers in new york i saw it it was awesome they're popping it, off did you see the feedback from that i saw the feedback more importantly i saw the video i was like yo, oh, this is a nice God. airbnb like this yeah. is, you guys went all out for this yeah how big's the business around here this yeah exactly crazy. Oh, we're, oh we're spending now yeah. okay we're spending yeah, uh, no, it, so that was cool it was really incredible i think what I love about the hustle and what you guys are building here is the engaged, passionate community. Yes. It's the only way to build something successful is to be surrounded by people like yourselves. And everyone that was there was saying, hey, it's not like you just go somewhere, shake hands, share a business card. It's like businesses are coming off the back end of that. Right. People are actually starting shit. And, you know, I would say two 
I'll give you two principles that that these stories tell me about. Number one, the most in, in, the most important startup commandment is um, is you'd rather have a thousand people who love you than a million people who love, mm-hmm. who just kind of like you, uh, who you know who could forget about you if two weeks went by. And um, what I love about this podcast, even though we have these really aggressive growth goals, I know we already did the hard part that we have thousands of people who just love this podcast and they're yes. like, "This is my favorite podcast. Give me more." And I, that's pretty good. But take that to your own business. It's easy to be like, oh, it's only 100, it's only 1,000, it's only 10,000 customers right now. But the real question is, do they love you? Because mm-hmm. if they love you, you have a very high chance of getting the next 10,000, next 100,000 people to feel the same way. Every great brand that we've seen, especially in the D2C space, customer centricity. It's at the heart of what they're doing. I, I don't know if you saw yesterday, Moise was saying about at the start, 24-7, he was on the phones, in the emails, responding to right. everything personally. <laughs> yeah, he's an animal. It's a $900 million business. And he brought this up when I did the interview with him. He goes, uh, I forgot who he was mentioning, like, whatever, the big Old Spice, like the big deodorant brands that he was going up against. He goes, they don't know who their customer is. Their customer is Target. Target buys their shit and puts it on the shelf. If they wanted to get in touch with the people who love their product, they wouldn't even have their email address. They don't have their connection. And he so he realized early on with, you know, he was doing D2C before D2C was the buzzword. Mm-hmm. It was just called e-commerce back then. Yep. And it wasn't super sexy to be doing. Um, but he was doing, you know, the deodorant sales. And he realized, hey, I have this relationship directly with the customer. I could talk to them. They could talk to me. I could send them more products and say, hey, try this out. Is this better? I can write yes. them a thank you note, that sort of thing. And yep. I, that was... The, underrated at the time. The big difference is if you go to Moyes and you ask him who your customer is, he's going to give you a specific example. And if you go to other competitors, they're going to show you a slide. A that demographic. Says, says, oh, this is Sarah the shopper. Right. Yeah. Sarah the shopper <laughs> is between the ages of 15 and 50. Right. And then right. all the marketing guys with uh-huh. MBAs sort of nod and clap. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Customer centricity. Um, but yeah, again, happy to be here. Love what you guys are doing. Yeah, we're going to get into a couple ideas. The second principle that I think is really important, so I just bumped into Stu just doing the podcast, and I would say two two things come from this. Um, there's this phrase, proximity is power. Shout out Tony Robbins. Um, if you don't know any better and you want to build your network, you want to be around more successful people, you want to be more successful yourself – one of the best things you can do is just get near them. Like yes. I was just in the office, you were in the office and boom, connection made. That's what happened with Mike Brown, the kind of guy who was yep. on the podcast earlier, who does oil and gas in Texas. We're just here. We bump into each other. I moved to San Francisco on a lark just for that. I was like, I just better go Where'd get in the from? mix. I was in Australia. I was as far as you oh could be gosh. from San Francisco. You from Australia? No, I was just there on a different adventure. Okay. I was but... gonna, for the Commonwealth. Yeah. I'm from Canada. <laughs> so a similar story, if you don't mind me saying. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Before what I'm doing now, I helped found this company called Factory and then uh, led it at the end. And it was literally, we were a handful of guys between Stockholm, New York, and Calgary. And all we wanted to do was not just read in books about how success is made, but meet them. Mm-hmm. We wanted to get where are people solving the biggest challenges in the world and actually come here. So we moved, used the field of dreams approach we said if we build it they will come went on craigslist found the biggest house we could find put our money together got it shouts out 7-eleven scott street right and legitimately oh, is the factory that co-living co-working space it was anything and everything you could oh, possibly imagine dude, i've heard so much about this that's us oh and okay so, great. but all it was was a network of thought leaders entrepreneurs executives yeah. where we put on everything from workshops talks dinners all we cared about was having the best people in the world come to our house to tell us what is making you different? What is making you tick? How are you building products? Right. Because if you're reading books, which is fantastic, I do a lot of it, I know you do, you're gonna say, hey, product is everything. No, marketing is everything. Customer centricity is everything. But really, you have to go there, find out for every industry, for every vertical, for every product, what makes it different. Right. And who are the entrepreneurs that are actually making it happen? Yeah. 
and just get around him. Like you don't have to, you don't even have to figure out step two. Just get around him. It's the fastest path to, uh, you know, sort of improving your odds of success is get really close, literally proximity, get nearby other successful people, work out of their office, hang out with them, go to a co-working space, whatever it is, but even, get around successful people. Even there's a lot of people on this podcast, I imagine, that are probably living in like the rural states, rural Canada. Yep. You know, people like we were. Cold emailing works. Yep. Like anyone that cold emails me, I respond. Yep. I know you guys are the exact same way. Even all these executives, it's been really big on Twitter, uh, how fast the response time was. It's like if you have a clear, concise message and you either A, want mentorship, you want to ask a question or you want to give them a piece of feedback, they will respond to right. you. And how not to do it is just, hey, can I get some t- some of your time? Hey, I'm Sean. Uh-huh. Love you. Get can I have a mi- thirty minutes or an hour of your time, or can I get a coffee? That's the worst way to do it. One hundred percent. Best way to do it is, hey, I'm Sean. Uh, I'm whatever, twenty two years old. Uh, I'm from this place. I'm doing this interesting thing, or I really want to do this interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I really appreciate the things you're doing. I've I've shared out your blog post. I've I've yes. told my friends about your podcast. Would you take a look at my slide deck? Would yes. you play around my product and give me two bullet points of what you think I could be doing better? Hey, I'm going to be in your city, and you know the next event you guys do, I will organize it for yes. you. Uh, tell them you're doing something interesting. Be humble about it, and uh, and then make a clear and simple, uh, a lightweight ask. Don't ask for time. Don't ask for coffee. How many generic in mails are you getting a week? A hundred? On a daily basis, um, this is kind of how I measure the success of the podcast. On a daily basis, I get 30 to 40 inbound new messages from people. Mm -hmm. And um, that's across email, LinkedIn, and and Twitter DMs. Uh, LinkedIn, I get to like three months later. But like Twitter (laughs) DMs and email, I check every morning. Mm -hmm. And so it's about 30 or 40 unique people doing that. Not a huge number. But for me... That's like the best part of my day is yes. that wake up. All right. Who reached out? Who said that, you know, they like something from this. They're doing something interesting. They want to work together. I've invested now in two companies from the wow. from listeners. Uh, I've like in conversations with several others. And so this has been a big deal for me. Wow. What set them apart? So the first guy, uh, I think some people might have heard him on the live show. He was a super credible entrepreneur. So he was like. Yeah, I, um, you know, I currently, you know, right now I run this division of the self-driving department at Uber and I'm leaving to start my own self-driving car company. And here's what I'm doing differently than everybody else. Wow. So I was like, okay, to get to that position at Uber, you got to be pretty legit. You um, have a unique insight that you can, you can tell me very clearly. And then the third thing was like, uh, as I probed the story just got better. As yeah. I got to know him, I was like, wow, more impressed. Yes. As I saw what he had done, more impressed. And I was like, okay, here's And you 50K. invested? Yeah. Okay, how long did it go from email to close? So we met, we emailed, we met for lunch, which uh-huh. is an hour. Uh, by the end of the lunch, I was like, should I just go work for this guy? Like <laughs> I was, and which is my like ultimate sign of I should invest. And then I went and checked out their prototype, like yeah. got in the car and um, that was an hour. And then the last thing I did was I brought my former co-founder CTO from Bebo, who's, who's with me right now at Twitch. And I said, hey, I need you to assess this from a technical yeah. point of view. And uh, so he went, met the guys, you know, said a bunch of words that I didn't understand and walked away being like, yeah, I'm also going to invest. And I was like, great. So that was my due diligence. So I would say four individual hours over the course of about two weeks. Wow. That's like, uh, did you see uh, first round? I think it was first round came out and said that if they look back 10 years ago, it took them nine weeks to close. And if they look now, it's taking them nine days. Yeah. As a, if you're an angel, 
you really need to make decisions within two meetings. That's yes. my, my, you know, the first meeting you need to be able to rule them out if it's an if it's a no, mm-hmm. and if it's a yes, you need to be really clear what that second meeting needs to be. Yeah, and then you can do your own research outside of that to check yeah. out the market, talk to a couple of competitors, talk to some customers, whatever you need to do to get comfortable. But like, speed is when you don't have pedigree. And you don't have more capital than anyone else. Speed is your best asset. I agree because uh, everyone's going to say that they can help, and a smart entrepreneur knows, like, a, you're not going to help that much, yep. and b, um, everybody says they help. So how can I tell who's actually super helpful until you have a great track record? Then you're like, okay, this person I, was a part of these great successes already. I agree with you fully. Just to go on that, do you mind if I plug something really quick? Do it. I'm going to actually I'm going to plug the hustle. Okay. And so going into talking about investing, how you move forward, what's that first step? Did you read the trend report this week? Yeah, I saw they were like, I'm going to invest. They're going to invest some money into startups that came out of the community. A hundred percent. If we think about, and you talk to Sam a lot about it, over the last four years, when he got the deal flow, he heard of those first ideas that were coming out that are now billion dollar businesses that he completely missed or that he could have helped earlier on and helped them get to where they are now much earlier. Right. It's incredible. Do you know of any of those examples? You might not because oh. it's Sam's. I, I know a, a couple of them. I don't know if I should share you can't them. Share. Okay. But there's some big ones out there. And so I know these guys have been talking about it for a while. It's like, how do we help the community? And like, how do we be that catalyst? So now it's not just for trend subscribers either. It's like, obviously, Shouts out to Trends. We want you to get on there and get those nice and ideas. Right. But for anyone listening, I want you to email Henry, actually. Right. Henry B at the hustle.co, your be- best business idea. And if it is chosen, we'll give you $1,000. Henry Not B. Not just $1,000. We'll also find any resources that you possibly need to help this thing scale. That's pretty good. All right. I like it. It's like, uh, did you read Atomic Habits? I've read about a third of it so far. So what really stuck out and what these guys are doing great here and what I want kind of every entrepreneur to hit on is understanding the difference between motion and action. Every entrepreneur thinks they're in action, but legitimately they're talking about the idea, talking about you with the idea, tweeting about the idea, but how are you taking that forward? Mm -hmm. And so the big thing here, it's like I want to help you and trends and you want to help them go from motion to getting into action. And if it's $1,000 that's going to be that catalyst, that's what makes sense. So what's the difference? Motion, action. Okay, motion, talking about it, thinking about it. You're not actually it. doing anything, but you're Action is busy. what? Action is putting up that first page, calling customers, actually go try to sell the something, thing. rapid yeah. prototyping it, like putting it into action, like not blaming anyone else, but legitimately putting it into action to try to turn this into a real business. Right. So use this as your excuse. Obviously the thousand bucks, not going to make or break your situation, but just treat it as the catalyst to, to take the thing you, that's been in the back of your mind and bring it to the forefront, take some action on it. I want to see all the ideas. And as a trends community, we'll all vote on them. I like it. And we're going we're gonna to also follow, track, and show the community the progression of the company of the itself. companies that are in it. Cool. Okay, let's take a quick break, and let me ask you a quick question. When did Noah build the ark? After the rain? After the flood? No, before the rain. So as an entrepreneur, Quiet Light Brokers wants to remind you to prepare before you want to sell your business. You don't just sell it right when you want to. You plan your exit for six figures, seven figures, or eight figures. Quiet Light Brokerage is a group of trusted advisors that can help you not just survive the tides, but exit on your own terms for the price you want at the time you want to the buyer that you want. And, you know, as you chart your way towards an exit, you got to first start by understanding the value of your business. If you want to see a 25 point checklist to see how well your business scores across the four pillars that they have seen drive value when they, uh, for all the sales that they've seen in their portfolio, you can find that checklist at quietlightbrokerage.com. 
quietlightbrokerage.com slash myfirstmillion. That's quietlightbrokerage.com slash myfirstmillion. Check out the free assessment. See how your business scores. If you want, you can get a free consultation for your business as well, but no pressure, no gimmicks, no sales pitches. Uh, you know, Quiet Light is an entrepreneur-led organization. The founders have built and sold businesses, bought businesses before themselves. They're not just, you know, sort of quick fly-by-the-night brokers. And they advise you to use the best data to help business owners like you reach your financial goals. So grab the free guide. It's over at quietlightbrokerage.com slash myfirstmillion. Support the pod. Go check them out. Uh, okay, we got some topics that we wanted to talk about. So uh, where do you want to start? So uh, let's do a couple of the ideas. So let's scroll down. We're going to skip this one. Um, let's do a couple of the ideas that, that we were chatting about last yes. time. What are some of the ideas that are interesting to you? Well, last week when I was sitting in, uh, you guys mentioned that religion overall is declining. And I didn't think that was right. And so I looked at the numbers and actually there's 66 million people coming. And I'm just going to speak towards Christianity. Sure. 66 million new Christians every single year, right? People being born into it, people uh, converting and so on, with only 26 million people leaving the church, which means 40 million new right. growth. Net, net, net positive. 3.3 billion by 2050, Right. Which is pretty incredible. And I don't know on Instagram if anyone that's listening to the podcast follows, but there's a lot of actual Christian entrepreneurs yes. and Christian influencers. So you have people like Carl Lance, Rich Wilkerson Jr., uh, Vu Church, even... Uh, and let me ask, are you a religious guy or are you interested in this from a just a curiosity and business point of view? Both. Both, okay. So I, like, I'm part of a men's group, like a men's Christian group, and it's interesting and like kind of diving into the idea itself. A lot of my friends have kids that are growing up Every single way that the church traditionally engages with this younger, uh, this younger demographic is outdated. Right. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. You know, listen to me talk. But Sit down and listen. <laughs> exactly. There, it, there's no way right now, there's no media company coming out. There's, there's really nothing out there for new age consumers, Gen Zs, millennials to actually engage with the church. Right. So we're thinking this is, not, like, this is an area where there's 40 million people every single year joining. That's a pretty fantastic growth rate. Billions of built-in customers. And by 2050, obviously, they're getting born right now for right. the most part, or they're people like us. It's like, how are they going to engage with the church itself? There's, there's only a handful of companies that are somewhat looking into this. But if we look at even the way that culture is trending, look at Kanye West's last album. Yeah legitimately a gospel album. Look at some of the brands that are really taking off right now. Fear of God, Jerry Lorenzo, right? A Christian-backed uh, fashion company. Right. But there's only a handful of them. The opportunity is massive to create either a media company or, you know, you could be selling books, you could, whatever right. it might be, to engage with those younger consumers. So I got a couple ideas. So someone, in, someone from the community, like you said, somebody who's taken action, he messaged me, he said, give me three months. Mm-hmm. So give me three months. What? Okay. <laughs> I like give me it. three months, and he sent me a link, and he he uh, and and not you know I hope he's okay with me sharing this. I'll ask him afterwards. We could bleep this whole thing out <laughs> here otherwise. But he said, give me three months, and I'm going to show you um, that I can get this business off the ground. I'm going to yeah. get on your show. Wow. And he goes, what is? I was like, what's the business? And he goes, tithing. Wow. So he goes, uh, digital tithing. So basically, uh, let's give it an analogy Venmo for churches mm -hmm. so he goes Love there's it. this company called PushPay that is currently processing four billion dollars a year of digital donations inside a church so instead of passing the hat around mm -hmm. they pass I don't know the QR code around or whatever yeah. it is it's yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. you can donate to the church through uh, through an app and uh, Tithely is another one so PushPay 4.2 billion pro that's their processed amount they took 98 million 
Wow. So this is a very simple fintech company to build. Yes. Uh, distribution, you can tell how you would distribute it to customers through the churches themselves who have a high incentive. Uh, because, you know, if you're a church, you need to ask for money and then you grow or you don't ask for money and then you shrink and potentially close. Even if we think about this from a church's perspective as well, it'll help them with all their accounting. Right. Every week, every Sunday, Saturday, whenever you're going to church, they're accepting cash. Right. Someone has to sit down and... Like, sit down, you know, is this tithing money? Is this for something right. else? So just the accounting of it. Imagine how much more simple so that'll be. They said 15%, I was looking into it a little bit, 15% of all donations now in the churches is digital. But I bet that that's, so I bet that that's already, you know, a, you know, fivefold increase from where it was a few years ago. And I bet it's going to go further. I think it gets to 30, 40% over time. And, um, and so this is just churches and, this, you know, just one faith. So there's, A, you can copy yeah. an existing model, take it to another faith you could just compete against these um so let's say tithing is one let's say uh you know surface area where you might go for what's another well just going on that that one point right there what is really interesting is did you see bird come out with payments this week yes (laughs) do you think bird is going to get they're going to have bird payments (laughs) at the front of all of our churches (laughs) exactly no i don't i don't think i think bird is in the sort of last minute hail mary type thing yeah okay (laughs) Okay, well, interesting. Uh, what is another one? The biggest one to me just comes down to engagement, right? You already have a uh, passionate community of young people that want to be engaged with the church. What we've seen a lot of is uh, merchandise, right? So how can you physically show that you're engaged with the Christian or Catholic or whatever your church actually is? Right. So influencer marketing obviously being big. Uh, preacher sneakers is a really interesting Instagram. Is that cat. happening? Uh, it's big. Preacher sneakers. Preacher oh my sneakers. God. I mean, well, it, preacher sneakers shows what all the preachers globally are, are actually wearing right now. So it's like, how can you create a brand directly for them themselves? And that's the perfect bridge of like the faith and you know, Gen Z, yeah. uh, you know, crossover there. So that really gets me excited. Yeah. So I like the media business idea. I think that's a pretty straightforward one, although probably not the most lucrative. Um, we had talked a little bit about uh, beautiful Bibles or beautiful you know, sort of, Bibles to talk about this. I, I like this idea a lot. Well, I'm just, you think to yourself, it's you, if you have, if you're a Christian or whatever your religion might be, let's just say for Christianity's sake, you go to someone's house, I guarantee you their Bible is hidden away because it, it got passed down to them. They got it for free. Yeah, it's in a drawer. It's, it's hideous. But if you think of what is on, I shouldn't say hideous, but yeah. it's not the best looking book. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm a Christian. It. It's okay. Uh, but if I think what is on people's coffee tables right now, it's kinfolk, right? It's things that they're going, that they're buying, that are beautifully bound, that they're visual. And so I think there's this really great opportunity to, to reinvent what the Bible actually looks like and create like the kinfolk of Bibles. Yes. So number one most selling book of all time. Yes. The Bible. That's a good place to start. <laughs> um, the IP, again, you can print your own Bible. So mm-hmm. it's not like you're going to go reprint Fifty Shades of Grey and get sued. Yeah. Uh, you can go reprint this and, and it could work. Um, you can remix it. So you can simplify, you can distill, yes. you can pull out certain anecdotes. I love this idea. Mm-hmm. So the only reason I'm not doing this idea is because I'm not religious. Uh-huh. Uh, but even me, I'm just like, well, maybe I, maybe I would do this. Even, no, it's like, uh, I love... Uh, how you just said pull out specific books. Yeah. So Netflix did uh, really uh, a, a pretty interesting movie on the Book of Mark, right? And so like, how can you take some of the stories that right. were within there and actually have them come to yeah, life? Double click into those. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. So, so I think this, generally speaking, taking the sort of number one most best-selling book of all time, or if you look at the Gita or the Quran or yes. whatever, these are all in the top sellers of all time. And if you can, you know, put a remix on it, so aesthetically pleasing is where I would go with it first. Uh, the other side of it is, you know, distilling it down for kids, making it more yep. kid-friendly, or um, like you said, going into sort of some of the lesser told or or pulling out some of the anecdotes and stories and really bringing them to life. For- in a- Way. million new customers a year right do it as a youtube channel do it as a book i think these are i think this is really interesting if, if someone's doing this reach out to me i want to help you make this successful mm-hmm. i put a lot of thought into into how you would go about doing this um and i genuinely think this is a really 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 uh, fascinating idea and this influencer preacher thing what's up with that it, it it's so it's funny i i thought a lot about it and guys in my men's group and i think it's a really great way to bring kind of the youth back into like christianity for instance um, but they have millions of followers. You know, they're with Bieber so, all the time. Carl Lentz is the first one I saw that was doing this. Carl Lentz is the biggest. You got to think he was leading Hillsong. Right. And if you dressed a little differently, you could pass as like a Carl Lentz. That might be that might be my next move after this. We'll see if they reach out. I saw him and I was like, this guy's good looking. This is a He's jacked, fella. Stylish, Fantas- funny, fantastic speaker. Speaks in like common, you know, common tongue, not like, you know, he'll yeah. use slang. Yeah. Um and I was like, no wonder this guy's friends with all the basketball players and yep. you know musicians that everybody knows about. He reformed Bieber. <laughs> 100%. No, it's really interesting. And he's speaking to them on their level. That is really the biggest thing. And so people understand that this is like being, I want to be a strong Christian, let's say, and I, I want it to be aspirational yet attainable. I can be him. Right. Instead of like the typical preacher you'll see at a lot of the churches, it's like you could look up to someone like Carl Lentz being like, that is someone I want to aspire to be. Right. And there's also... Um, sort of a musical component. So he's with the Hillsong Church, I think, mm-hmm. and they put out like tons of great, uh, you know, faith-based music. I think that faith-based music is a, is a pretty big space. So here's a question I had about okay. this, right? Because I've brainstormed these, I broke some of them down, I've done a bit of research. And so then I asked myself, I believe in these ideas, okay, but I'm not doing, I'm not doing these ideas. Yep. The big part of it for me is just time. I got a lot yep. of, I do the podcast, I have yep. a job, I have, you know, other stuff going on. So um, for someone like you, entrepreneurial, Christian, uh, why don't you do this idea? I'm one of these. Well, I'm in the same place as you. I'm also time limited. It's all time limited. I will do anything to help these get off the ground. Any of the ideas we'll talk about. Right. It's like you want to see people take these really nascent, interesting ideas that are big and help them come to life. And so if I had more time on my hands, I would love to help it. And where do you stand on um, where do you stand on ideas where you don't have that same founder fit? So let's take another. So let's say I did have the time. Okay. Right. Um, I magically get 48 hours of my day so I can play with my baby. I can do my job. I can invest in companies. I can do the podcast. Oh, my I God. I can do the side hustles. I can do it all. So let's say I had double the time and okay. now, I could, now I'm not time restricted. Mm-hmm. You know, the second question for me would be, should I do this? And is this the right business for me? Uh, because there's one thing to understand it at an intellectual level. And there's another thing to really like love the product, care about it, and, and get into all those details. So I think a lot of people come into this question of like, yes. should I go for something I'm quote unquote passionate about or know about or I am the customer? Mm-hmm. Or should I do something that's sort of, I see the opportunity and it might be a great market opportunity, but I have to figure out, you know, it's like our, our buddy Ramon who, you know, created the most popular soap opera, soap opera blog in the world and never watched a soap opera in his life and sold it for nine million cash. So I've seen both examples. Yeah. Where do you stand on this? My whole thing, I think, I think entrepreneurs have to be at different stages in their life. So for where Ramon was at, he's not saying soap opera blog, this is the 100-year brand. This is something that 
when people say, what did Ramon do to leave this earth? He changed the lives of people watching soap operas. Right. He said, how can I, especially where he was at in his life, how can I make money? Right. And he says, this is something that could generate money tomorrow. Yeah. And so now when you're talking about things that are really passionate, that, that you really care about, where you, like when you were building Bebo, when time slips away, when you have that feeling you care so much about what you're building that you look at the clock and it's 4 a.m. and you're with your co-founders and you said, wow, we're really changing the world. It's a whole different place. There you're trying to build a brand, not just to flip, but to literally make an impact. Right. Legacy. So I think you have to look at yourself where you're at in your life. Can you take risks? Like you're saying, I know you've been successful, so you have kids, you have a family, but it's like, can I take this risk? Do I have the right time and do I care about this? Because it's if I just want to make money right now, become an affiliate marketer or something like take one of these ideas that you could just easily flip around start making money tomorrow or do i want to build something long term that is probably much higher risk but it's something that i want to really put my name to right so the framework uh, i i offer up here is earn learn or legacy which one are you going for right now and at different phases of my life you summed it up oh my god i've optimized for different ones when i moved to san francisco i told you i just wanted to be near people i decided at that time i had done two startups already i said next one i don't want to do myself because you know i've I've made these two startups happen with mixed results uh you know some good some bad i think i've done better than i thought i would do but i don't know what i don't know so i was like this next chapter is all about learning so i hooked up with michael birch i was like this guy's done it before he's a billionaire he's built multiple successful companies great head of hair great head of hair british accent yeah (laughs) can't go wrong and i said i want to learn so i said i don't want to just how can i my my thesis was how do i pack 20 years of experience into the next four years of my life i love that and so i said i got to work with someone who's done it before i got to be around really smart people and i got to work on a portfolio of projects so i get multiple reps and not just one yeah and then i found michael birch who's done it before and an idea lab where he's working on a portfolio of startup ideas boom perfect wow so i went all in i was like this is what i want other times right now i'm in the earn phase sold my company i'm trying to collect the check i'm gonna cash in the asset that we sold and collect the check yeah of course i'm gonna still learn things but i picked you know there are other ways i could be learning more but i decided this chapter right now i'm gonna cash in some chips i'm gonna earn and if we look at your earn as well going back to the first question it's you have a portfolio of bets you have you've made your money from selling your company you get paid, I'd assume, on the 1st and the 15th from Twitch or however the payment works. Yep. And you've also made higher risk, longer term bets itself that could have a high payout at the end. Right. Right. And so you have multiple Portfolio. different streams of income that could be coming in that are going to help you achieve the long term goals of the type of earning potential that you want to be hitting. Right. And so if, if you're listening and, and the other one is legacy and I've thought about this, OK, what would I do next? Mm. Would I optimize again for learning? Sometimes I'll just do little experiments that I know I'm not going to stick with beyond three months. Yeah. But I'm like, how hard is it to start a podcast? You know, yeah. could, could I grow that? That's how this, this started as an experiment to that. just learn. I didn't think I'd earn any money off this. I didn't think it's good for legacy necessarily. I just did it to, to learn. Um, and sometimes you, you know you think about what's a project I wouldn't want to exit from. Yep, it's a powerful question. Tough wow. to answer, but it's a powerful question. Wow, I absolutely love that. That's incredible. And you know what? It kind of what you're saying with uh, earn learn legacy. Uh, a lot of the work that I currently do is with corporates still. So I work with both like growth stage startups, but mostly with corporates. And when I help them kind of look at what does the future of the business look like, we actually go through a very similar lens. It's like, how are we going to make the next billion, right? So like, what does a Horizon 2 project look like? Right. Then what does the future of our business actually look like? And who are the types of people that we want to be surrounding ourselves with? Networks, startups, investors, whomever it might be. They're going to help us understand what that is, but not just help us understand and get those insights, but help us build that. Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot of the work that I do right now. 
That's cool. I like that. Uh, let's talk about this other idea that you had, you had mentioned last time. So um, Uber driver revenue streams. Uber talk driver revenue streams and Lyft. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm neither We don't discriminate. There. Yeah. Heck no. I love them both, right? <laughs> Whatever's cheaper. Uh, <laughs> um, but for me, I, I try to think a lot about there are resting assets that are currently sitting idle, right? And so how can you so what's a resting asset? A resting asset is something like uh, how Uber has scaled because they have drivers that are sitting out there for themselves or people just driving around that want to make extra income. So for Uber, for instance, how can we take that a step further? You have people that are online with Uber that are currently waiting for rides and they have, when they get someone in their car, they have a captive audience. There's been a handful of startups that have somewhat helped alleviate this because the big thing that has come out a lot lately, especially with uh, some of the new regulations coming in, is that Uber and Lyft drivers driving full-time are making far less than minimum wage. Right. Like far less. When you account for all the expenses and the idle times and like, everything. I think we have the stat here. What does it say? The average pay per hour in America for full-time is eight fifty-five to eleven seventy-seven On Uber. On Uber. Yeah. And, uh, or, it's or all Lyft right, or whatever. Yeah, right Yeah, share. in America. The average full-time for a driver full year, thirty-six five twenty-five a year. Right? That's, that's, that's minimum wage. Right. And so I think... It's, no one, they're not going to stop driving Uber. They're not going to stop driving Lyft. But how can you take something like a Uber or Lyft driver who for between 7 and 30 minutes has a captive audience? Right. So how do you give them a $3 an hour raise? How do you help them make more money? So people have tried this currently. Interactive media, I think we, there's a Octopus Interactive has done this. Everyone's seen it. It's in all cabs in New York. It's in a handful of Uber. A little right. screen on the back it's of a little the chair screen. type thing. You play a game. Yeah. It's not targeted. So you and me are getting in there, and I guarantee you if we sit in there right now, we're going to get served personal injury. Call me if you've been hurt in an accident, <laughs> right. right? It has nothing to do with us. Right. Okay, but that's one way. One way. Another one that I actually liked was cargo, and it just helps them sell things. Right. Snack, little snack bar. Exactly. But to me, what I've been thinking a lot about is how do you, which is really big, obviously, the last handful of years, which has really taken off, is personalization. So if you think about if you're able to truly partner with Uber, think about the type of information they have on you as a rider, how old you are, your frequent places that you're living, even the micro-targeting, the geolocation of where you are. We can make a lot of assumptions about you. We could, you know, Sean, we could probably assume you're, you're well off. Maybe we can know that you have family or you're currently doing a lot of pools or luxury. And so we can start to build a profile around you. And with that type of information through like the stereo, for instance, how could we serve you very targeted direct ads? Right, so advertising is one. The one that I am really interested in, I have a little bit of background in, is in the music space. And so for me, it's like, okay, a music label wants to get their new artist, someone that they've invested in, in front of the right consumer, especially in that first week where they want songs to hit that kind of viral effect. Right. And so if you were able to build a music platform to partner with labels and Uber to actually serve direct music towards a very targeted audience, and you could make money by playing that song, right. I think it'd be a great business. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because I don't know how many rides there are per day, but there's millions of rides per day. And so those are all sort of audio impressions yes. that you could use. And I think if you played ads out loud, that would be uh, sort of obnoxious. But if you're playing awesome new music, mm-hmm. um, you know, that could be that could be really interesting where it's sort of non-invasive. It's actually, you know, sort of behind the scenes. Yeah. You don't even have to tell the writer, hey, this is 
you know, you're listening to this because of X. It's just this is what the driver has on. Yeah. And the driver gets paid to have their radio on. Exactly. Specifically to a certain station. A lot hooked of the, into their app. Because a lot of the time, either you're telling them what to change to, or they're putting on something you don't like. Right. And so now this is okay. We think we understand you as an individual, so we're going to try to serve you music that you like. Right. And I'm helping the driver make more money. Right. Yeah, I like this idea a lot. I, I think this is cool. Uh, Firefly put the big kind of thing on the top of the yeah. the Ubers. Is the, is it Firefly that raised last week, or was it the other one? So Firefly raised prior, okay. um, and they may have raised again. I don't know, yeah. but they raised a huge round prior and like twenty, thirty million bucks. And then um, I believe Lyft announced that they were doing this themselves. So wow. one of the ride sharing companies announced that they're doing this themselves, which is going to be now mm-hmm. interesting to see what happens with that. But I like the idea. I also just generally like the under underlying um, reason this was interesting to you, which was. Oh, something's changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's changed? Okay, well, now we have this fleet of drivers that are all connected using these apps yeah. that are on the road all the time. That's new inventory yes. that we could do something with, new opportunity that, that we could do something with. And the second thing was, hey, the wages have gone down from making $25 an hour to $10 an hour. They're going to be very receptive to ways that they can get their earnings back up because they're being advertised to that, hey, you're making yep. 25 bucks an hour, yep. but that's not your true rate when you take into account everything. And if you find a way to make the drivers more money even i i bet you i'm just going to make an assumption here that if uber doesn't get a cut but they're keeping more drivers on the road that they will love Leave you, you alone yeah <laughs> they will love you if right. you find any way to make drivers work exclusively like i think cargo is an exclusive partnership with uber right and so if you can help just them like their their workforce, driver retention yeah I, I think it'd really take off. Yeah, I like that idea. Uh, what else you got? You had some other good ones last time. So we, we touched on uh, sort of how religion should, should, mm-hmm. should be engaging with Gen Z, whether it's yep. through the beautiful Bibles or tithing or one of the other ideas there. Love talked tithing. About, that well, is what are we going to call this Uber driver radio uh, oh, network? You know? We need to hire a brander from our network. <laughs> yeah. I, have, I, have, I have one name and it's coming up for our next idea that I've come up with. Okay, yeah. But besides that... All right, so give, give us that. Give us that name. That's you, a great one. Well, you should see a lot of the domains that I own. They're, it's just awful. <laughs> awful domains. Yeah, awful <laughs> domains. I should never be in branding. Um, but so the next idea that that I have that we kind of talked about, and I'm actually talking about it with one of my friends right now. So anyone that wants to join this next idea, email henryb at thehustle.co, <laughs> and he'll help connect us. Henry, you're getting blown up today. I'm excited to see how many he gets. Charge your phone. <laughs> so. Um, I'm really big into Cloud Kitchens. You give a great summary of what Cloud Kitchens is. Do you mind? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, okay, so Cloud Kitchens, I actually know this because I started one way back before this was a thing. Uh, oh, my gosh. Right idea, wrong time. But basically, it is a restaurant without the physical restaurant. So um, you now that there's all these delivery apps, Uber Eats, Postmates, Caviar, DoorDash, DoorDash Grubhub, um, you just your storefront is a icon in the app. That's mm-hmm. all you need. You And so there's all these shared kitchens, like just giant warehouses, think about it that way, uh, that are centrally located in a city, but not super sexy locations. And there's these giant kitchens that have already invested in all the HVAC, fryers, fridges, freezers. You don't have to buy any of that stuff. You can go rent those by the hour. When we did it, we paid 19 bucks an hour. Wow. To have access to this kitchen. And so, like, think about that, you know, eight eight times, you know, 20, yeah. <laughs> 20 bucks an hour yeah. times eight wow. hours a day. That was our restaurant cost. Uh, so we went from needing half a million dollars to start our restaurant yeah. to doing it for like less than five that five grand wow um and we you know so you have 
this infrastructure that's a, a shared kitchen where normally bakers, caterers, uh, food truck guys, that's what they normally use. But now you can just run a whole restaurant out of that and you just optimize delivery only and you live on the back of these giant uh, food apps and you just do pop-up concepts. So you could be macaroni only. You could be, you know, <laughs> the fried, chi the fried chicken ones. specialist, the grilled cheese specialist. Yeah. You could be like 10 different types of Asian cuisine or like the best pad thai ever, whatever. You create these little micro brands. Um, anyways, a cloud kitchen is a kitchen as a restaurant that doesn't exist and delivers off the back of these super popular food delivery apps and so what you just said and you said how many platforms there are the number one question because whenever you look at starting a new problem or you're starting a new uh, startup sorry you look at is there a challenge here or is there a big opportunity and so with this one i took i looked at myself and i said what is the biggest challenge that these cloud kitchens face you see how much money travis klanix obviously started i bet you could walk down the street and someone else has probably started one yeah and I guarantee you the biggest problem everyone has is how do you stand out? How do you stand out as a cloud kitchen because you don't have a storefront? So are you going to put a lot of money into brand, right? Is, is, are you going to stand out just on your logo right. or <laughs> that you're keto and you do niche foods? So something that I've been thinking a lot about, which I'm calling, are you ready for it? Clout kitchens <laughs> is uh, influencer-based cloud kitchens. Okay. And so if you look at the, the, the expansion of influencer marketing, and not just influencers as a pay-to-play scheme that startups are or large corporates are working with to hawk their products, but instead actually having these influencers build real businesses. Look at Kylie. Yep. Kylie didn't sit there and build out the formulations herself. She put a ton of work into it and like 100%, that is incredible what she did. But she worked with a brand incubator who on the back end knew the formulations. They knew how to market it. They knew everything behind it right. and leveraged her distribution, her name to make it scale the way right. they did. Same thing with how Rihanna did it. So 100%. What's, what's happening in the beauty space, what you're saying is could happen in the food space. So who's a, well, how would this work? Give me an example. I'm just, so in my mind, it's, Someone, you can do influencers a handful of different ways. If you go on Instagram right now, how many different food influencers are there? I mean, I don't know. Thousands. 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 Oh, yeah. Tens Joe of thousands. Joe Wick, Ella Delicious, you know, all these different ones that, like, my partner, for instance, she, we own every cookbook, I feel like. Yeah. We own legitimately every cookbook. My wife's vegan, so any vegan influencer, like, I know, I know the name Erin Ireland. She's, because she sends me every recipe that this woman uh, posts, which is a, you know, vegan 100, recipe. 100%. I go on Instagram right now. I guarantee you I have four messages from her from different food things that we should try. Right. And I will say I eat out too much. So instead of going in, figuring out, okay, how do I build this recipe? Oh, gosh, I got to buy – I got to make couscous. I don't right. even know what <laughs> yeah. this is. Instead, it's like how can you leverage the name to of this order. influencer? Help them with some of the recipes that they have on their Instagram itself. Yeah. Create the menu. Create the menu and create all these cloud kitchens like across the country or wherever it might be so that everyone can have access to it. I like it. I like it a lot. So this is sort of like the Gordon Ramsay. He has several exactly. restaurants, right? Like he's got his uh, Bobby Flay has the burger bar. Gordon Ramsay has his thing in Vegas and every, other places. I feel like every somewhat decent airport has like a Wolfgang puck. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, or uh, you guys talked about it with Lance, Jimmy Buffett. You're right. going to Margaritaville. You're somewhere right. warm. And so, what is the Margaritaville? What is the Gordon Ramsay? What is that next generation working with these new age influencers to actually create full menus online, just in a cloud kitchen with none of the upfront costs? And as you know, how high the churn rate is on restaurants itself. Yeah. Your startup costs are incredibly low. All you need to do is find the right influencer, the right demographic build out the uh, menu with them right of things they're already building they right. have cookbooks <laughs> you're just giving access to everyone and then you it. grab off the shelf chefs essentially who can actually just 
implementing 100 cooking food on a daily basis it's, right yeah. it's trivial to find people who could do that i really like this idea uh because i just think it's a really fun idea and there's a lot of times where you have passion actually the music one's very similar there's all these passion areas that are just garbage businesses yes and um this is you know food is another one where it's like great you love food um okay what are you gonna do you're gonna be a foodie what does that mean you're gonna be a food blogger that's a little yep. bit tough um this is actually like a sort of cool novel way and again it's because something has changed yes these food delivery apps have have paid billions of dollars in customer acquisition costs yes. to acquire hundreds of millions of users across the world you don't have to get you like you don't have to pay for the views yeah you're not paying for the customers they're coming to you yes exactly uh so i like this a lot and i think you sort of can bridge these two uh these two worlds really really well uh, so i like to say that my friend has this phrase which is that uh chefs are the new djs yes that people just the same way people follow djs now and will go to the clubs where they're at uh there's this is actually happening in sort of the food world as look well. at um what's the, what's that chef or what's that show on netflix Netflix, uh, open t- not open table, uh, chef's table, chef's table, like that. Oh, like that just took off, right? And so, yeah, I, I'm 100 with you. The one thing I want to add is I want someone to do this. Yeah, I don't just want us to talk about this. Anyone that is interested, I want them to email Henry. Right. I'm not even joking. We're starting this. Right. I have someone on the other end that is going to help with this. I'll help it get off the ground. Right. Motion to action. I love it. And, and again, literally, we did this when we did our restaurant. We uh, so we started a sushi restaurant. Yeah, I don't know shit about sushi. Yeah, uh, like, you did that at Duke, right? I did it right out of Duke, and we found a, a chef from the Food Network. So we saw this guy who did the oh Bobby God. Flay challenge. He beat Bobby Flay at a sushi challenge, and he was super charismatic, and he was obviously knew his shit about sushi. And so we were like, "Oh, that guy. We need that guy." Yeah. And so we literally partnered with this guy, and it was really hard to get him to take us seriously because we were 18 years old. And there's a whole story about how we did that, but. We partnered with a Food Network chef and we created this this restaurant concept. And then we ended up, because we just didn't have money, we did it as a cloud kitchen yeah. uh, because we were like, look, I don't want to sign a 10-year lease with a personal guarantee. And that's what I needed to do to get a wow. restaurant space. So, you know, just getting resourceful, we created this thing. And at the time, there was no Postmates, Uber Eats. Those didn't exist. That was the missing piece. Wow. We still had to go get customers to come to our website to, to download, to, to order the food. Is this? If that had changed, uh, this whole, you know, I wouldn't even be sitting here. I'd be still running a sushi empire. Is, it, is this going to be your legacy? <laughs> I, I feel like we just hit on something. I feel like this is next. No, I ran away from the food industry because it's tough, but uh, that's just, I was doing too much, too many dishes every night. I didn't oh, like that's it. incredible. Yeah. No, I love that. Anyone that wants to do it, honestly, Henry B at the hustle.co. I love it. So uh, did you watch the Tyson Fury fight? I did. I'm a, I'm not a huge boxing fan, but I'm a fan of greatness and I like combat sports in general. There we go. I, I was lucky enough. I actually watched it with Sam. And Sam is, you know, a big boxing fan. And I think, I know a lot of Patriots fans will say the 28-3 is the greatest comeback story <laughs> in sports. I think Tyson Fury is the greatest comeback so, story. So explain the Tyson Fury story. So just so we can, I'm going to start at the end. Okay. Tyson Fury knocked out Deontay Wilder in the seventh round. Deontay Wilder is known as the baddest man on the planet. Right. Never never been defeated. And he's he has a 96% knockout rate. Right. 42 fights, 41 knockouts. Something exactly. crazy like that. Only person he hasn't knocked out was his last Tyson Fury fight. So Tyson Fury started off. He's this English boxer, also known as the Gypsy King. He was eight weeks premature, weighing in at one pound. Right. Okay. Almost didn't make it just from the beginning. Right. One pound. One pound. <laughs> Which is crazy because if you see him now, he's 6'9", six, nine, six, 275 nine. pounds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's, and that's slim for him, which we'll get into. Um, but his dad knew greatness. His dad was one of those people that understood that this guy's going to be a champion. And so we named him Tyson after the great Mike Tyson. 
Obviously, years go by, years go by. He starts training. His dad was a boxer. His uncle's a boxer. Everyone in his family is boxers. And he gets to this point where he's like the next contender coming up. He's uh, 23 years old. He gets invited into Vladimir Klitschko's actual uh, fighting camp itself. And kind of going back to your guys' point last week about hearing doubters, everyone always told Tyson Fury, you're going to go to this camp, but Vladimir Klitschko is the king. Even when you're there, he's going to batter you as a sparring partner. And so he was training with me. He's like, this guy's not that great. I'm going to get into his head. These guys, they weren't even boxing against each other at this time. They're not opponents. So during the training camp itself, they go into the sauna. Okay. Have you heard the sauna story? I have not heard the story. No. You haven't heard the story? I'm excited. This is maybe my my favorite story in sports. So... uh, Everyone knows, and everyone tells Tyson Fury, Vladimir Klitschko is not just the king of the ring. Vladimir Klitschko is the king of the sauna. Okay? <laughs> Look, everyone here, Henry, post a photo of what Vladimir Klitschko looks like this time. He's a monster. Yeah. He's enormous. He's okay. a Russian monster. He's a Russian monster. Ukrainian, Russian monster. Yeah. So this guy's huge. So they go into, and Tyson Fury's, everyone's telling him, you got to get out of the sauna as fast. No one can last as long as him. And he says, I'm not even fighting this guy. I'm going to get into his head. I want to beat him now because I know I'm going to be champion later. And people say, I can't do something. I'm going to do it. Okay. So they get in there. It's hot. It's really warming up. Five minutes go by. Ten minutes go by. There's about a dozen people in there. People are dropping off. Right. Someone's leaving. Another person's leaving. About 20 minutes come in, and it's only Tyson Fury and Vladimir Klitschko left. So Vladimir Klitschko you know, he stands up. Tyson Fury's like, thank goodness. He's about to pass out. Vladimir Klitschko turns up the heat, <laughs> sits back down. And so Tyson Fury says, I can't let this guy get in my head. Everyone thinks I can't beat him. I'm going to get up too. He gets up. You know what he does? Turns it up. Grabs a newspaper. <laughs> he lays down and he grabs a newspaper, right. right? Another 25 minutes go by. They're in legitimately as hot as the sauna can go. And Klitschko finally leaves. Tyson Fury wins. And he's like, oh, I can't just leave right now. He'll know that I was just trying to beat him. Waits a little bit longer. Basically passes out. Years go by. Three, four years go by. Tyson Fury's the number one contender. Klitschko's the champion. Klitschko's the champion. He hasn't lost in something like 11 years. 11 years hasn't lost. Right. Everyone's like, Tyson Fury, you cannot beat Klitschko. Tyson Fury goes, you know what? I know all of you think I can't do this. I'm going to do it on his home court. Don't come to the UK. I don't want to fight you at Wembley. I want to fight you in, like, Eastern Europe. So they fight in Germany. And then, so in the pre-fight, they do a face-to-face, similar to how we are now. Tyson Fury brings up the sauna issue and Klitschko, everyone look up the clip, is so like pretends like it didn't happen, like he couldn't remember it. And Tyson Fury says after the fight, he knew that's when he beat him. And he goes in and he batters. Right. He batters Klitschko. Wins, right? Becomes the lineal champion, three uh, three class champion, whichever. By the way, I love this lineal champion. The lineal champion, for those who don't follow boxing, is just your you beat the man who beat the man who beat the man who beat the man all the way back in time to the first man. Exactly. And so you That's have nice taken theory. the champion. You took the champion out. Yes. And nobody's taken you out yet. You exactly. are the lineal champion. He's the lineal champ. So this is 2015. So the thing was is that after this fight, Tyson Fury didn't go on and actually uh, fight Klitschko again. Right. He balloons up to 400 pounds. He's at the mountaintop. He's yes. like, is this it? Is this it? And he's hearing from everyone. He couldn't do it again. He can't do it again. And it's finally somewhat getting to him. He becomes addicted to drugs. He gets addicted to booze. He's 400 pounds. And everyone says, I knew it. I knew Tyson Fury was a bum. Right. Right? And so finally, something in his mind clicks. 2017, this video comes out. Him jogging. His face is monstrous. Size of a right. basketball. He's red in the <laughs> He looks face. like someone who ate Tyson Fury. Exactly. And he, there's this video. Everyone's got to see it. 
And he said, he says, it's like, Deontay Wilder, I'm coming for you. And everyone says, he's never going to do it. What are you talking about? He's failed so many times, he'll never come back. Yeah. And let a, obviously, he fights him. He comes back. He drops 150 pounds. It was a draw the first fight. Time comes back. They're like, you know what? Tyson Fury, he's not coming back. He's going to do the WWE thing. He got his payday. He's going to go drink again. Comes back, obviously, this past Saturday, knocks out Deontay Actually Wilder. knocks out the knock- knockout artist. A hundred percent. No one thought he could do it. Right. Um, and so I just thought it was this really interesting story. Uh, for a lot of the points that even we were talking about last week, or you guys were talking about last week, when it came down to people saying no, right? right? People not wanting to see success happen. Everyone wants to see you lose. And he took that as energy, came back like four separate times <laughs> right? <laughs> from the brink, like four separate times and made it happen. I just thought it was just so incredible. I, I can tell you're kind of like me in that um, maybe the thing I respect most is someone's mentality. Yes. Their mental toughness. And um, and I don't, I don't even think I'm particularly great at this, uh, but it's something that I've decided is sort of the number one most important asset is how how is your mindset? 100%. How is your mindset when things are good? Are you grateful? Are you appreciative? Are you a giver to others? Yes. How is your mindset when things are bad? Yes. Are you resilient? Do you, t- do you turn the disadvantages into advantages? And mindset is uh, number one. That's why you love Fury. Yes. It doesn't matter that he knocked out Angel- the guy. It matters how his mind worked when 100%. he was at a point where most people break. Angela Duckworth would call it grit. Right. What this guy has. Right. I, it, when I read that book, all I could think about was Tyson Fury. Yeah. But it all comes down to mindset. All the great leaders have it. Uh, Admiral William McRaven is another great example. Obviously, one of the greatest admirals in Navy SEALs history and uh, special ops history. Same thing. He's a great leader because of how his mindset is. Right. This is why sports is great. It's the metaphor. It's the grand metaphor for life. Uh, who cares about these guys punching each other in the head or throwing a ball yeah. in a hoop? Uh, yeah. But it is the great Henry metaphor. Henry will post a bunch of the things that we talked about. I want everyone to go to the hustle and my first million, everyone on Twitter. And I want you to all look at these links and be inspired. Yes. Love it. Uh, and it was a great fight. It was very interesting. And he gave us a nice little ballad at the oh end. Oh, my God. He's, he's, he sings a song when he yeah. wins, which is hilarious. And part of like his marketability is that uh-huh. he's just like crazy character. He's crazy. He was he, dancing before the fight. Yeah. Deontay Wilder was stretching, and he was literally dancing. <laughs> by the way, super lame excuse by Deontay Wilder that his costume was too heavy. 40 pound costume. And that's why he lost. Uh, no, you lost because Tyson yeah. Fury punched you in the head. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we got a little bit of time. Let's see, see how we're doing on time. Okay. We don't have too much time. All right. We have, let's say, one last thing. Is there one last thing you want to bring up? This is Stu's power hour not, not the power hour i have so many ideas hopefully you have me back uh, i fully understand i feel like i yell into this mic as much as sam so i'm going to apologize to everyone <laughs> to listening um well we want to bring you back we want to have basically these recurring sort of friends of the house mm-hmm. so there's certain people that are fun and have a bunch of ideas mm-hmm. and it's not like when i was doing the interviews before you know you tell your story once mm-hmm. i'm not gonna have you back to tell your story again like yeah. that's just too much uh nobody wants that but with this you know every month or every two months i want to br- be bringing you know our guest friends of the house back uh, as a recurring cast of characters so that's um, the game plan count me in you can catch me at my desk about 15 feet from here <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, but something that uh, i've been thinking about a lot you're a big notion user right uh, I use it. I wouldn't call myself a big Notion user because I have a love-hate with it. Okay. Uh, I, the app loads so the slow hand. for me. Uh, okay, it does that, load that, slow. That, that's like a deal breaker for me, but everything else is dope. But you guys made the website. We made our whole website off of it's, it. Honestly, it's one of the most powerful tools I've ever used. The hard thing is I tell everyone, and everyone knows I am an evangelist of things that I love. 
I must have signed up 200 people on copper, for instance. <laughs> I'm calling people. Everyone's like, what CRM do I use? I'm done with. I'm like, no, you get on copper right now. I haven't taken any affiliate money for this, by the way. Right. And so Notion is the latest thing. I'm addicted. My life journal's in there. Everything, my whole life is in and there. And what do you point. love about Notion that you didn't get? It? What were you using before? Uh, Docs, Evernote. You name it. I was using the whole G Suite. I was using obviously copper, but I've moved, I've actually poured it over a CRM into it because there's a lot of really great integrations. Uh, I'm using a physical journal itself, like you name a, a sauna. And Trello. what what is it about Notion that got you? What got it was the uh, the ability to create. It's legitimately a blank canvas where it lets you be the artist towards your own personal workspace. Whoa. Right? It, <laughs> you got deep there. <laughs> I, uh, uh, if people that are watching this, I'm crying. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, or, yeah, watching this. So, but legitimately, the hard thing, though, what makes it so beautiful and what makes it so difficult is that you legitimately just end up on a blank page. Create. Right? And so I think the biggest opportunity Notion has, and I've tweeted at them so many times and I will continue to, um, is that they have the opportunity to legitimately create the app store for business templates. And so if you go on notion.so forward slash templates, they have a couple, they have about 12. But if you wanna become a power user, uh, you gotta go on YouTube, you gotta find all the right channels. Right. And so I think there's a really big opportunity for someone or for Notion itself to become an actual template, or sorry, a uh, an actual platform and an app store to create templates for Notion. Right, ready to go CRM, ready to go and journal, ready to go whatever, all, all the different common use cases that people 100%. wanna do. I think it's a massive opportunity. Like they raised what ten million at an eight hundred million valuation, <laughs> yeah. and they have such an engaged community, but nothing is tying them together. Right. Like people are hacking together templates. I use it, but it loads slow. I can't get it over loads it. Loads slow. <laughs> when you put in so much information. Yeah, that's and, probably what it is yeah. too. It's, it's, it's like so feature rich that Melissa. All yeah. right, uh, I like that uh, notion. You should pay us for that. I mean, they actually. That, so they actually, that wasn't an ad read, but that was better than an ad read. They, I mean, yeah, they did. They actually sponsored the Hustle Morning Newsletter today, okay, but right, it has great. nothing to do with that. I'm not an employee of the Hustle. <laughs> right. Yeah. Me and you didn't get any of that money. So let's let's, yeah. uh, let's get notion out here. All right, yeah. uh, Stu. Great having you. Where should people find you? Follow you. Twitter. Twitter. At Stu Iverson. Follow me on there. We'll I'm, put it in the show notes. I, yeah. I'm active. DM me. I'll message you back. I promise you. Um, yeah. That's where you can find me. Nice. Okay. Love it. We're out.